Hi everyone and welcome back to Perspective and Happy Women's History Month. Today we have a very, very special guest. Her life and accomplishments span much longer than this interview time a lot. She is the president of the NAACP New York State Conference and a member of the NAACP National Board of Directors, a member of the NAACP Executive Committee, and an active member of various NAACP board subcommittees. From 1989 to 1992, she served as the national president of the National Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP. This phenomenal woman and living legend is a member of the National Council of Negro Women Incorporated and a National Black Leadership Commission on AIDS Incorporated, and an active member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Northern Manhattan Alumni Chapter. She is a member of the Assembly of Prayer Baptist Church, where she served as an executive assistant to the pastor. She's the president of the Hazel N. Duke and Associates Consultant Firm, specializing in areas of public policy, health, and diversity. This iconic woman of great strength and purpose has dedicated her life to human rights and equality, which is exemplified by her role linking business, government, and social causes. She's an active and dynamic leader who is known for her unselfish and unwavering devotion and track record for improving the quality of life in New York State. I am proud to introduce none other than Dr. Hazel N. Duke. Welcome. Thank you so much. Oh, why, thank you. So I have some questions for you. Why, thank you. I have some questions sure. for you. So, you know, it's a cold day today in New York City. It's 20 degrees. It feels like negative 10. And there's been colder days. But what music gets you going in the morning? And what's your go-to hot drink? Coffee or tea? I'm a tea drinker. Mmm.
And I had wonderful African American teachers, uh, not only in my class, but in my Sunday uh, school class. And so we were taught to love my feet and uh, pray. And uh, yes, what was there for us? Uh, and let those people go. Yes, I, uh, my mom and my dad and my grandparents, I drove with my brother bus with him and would go to the bus. And if one white person was sitting uh, in the front, uh, you had to kill the bus driver, your money, and then go into the back door. But being a child, I didn't quite understand it. And I was a happy kid, uh, having my playmates, having my toys and friends. I didn't quite understand it at an early age. Thank you so, so much for sharing that with me. You know, it's it's interesting to see the parallels from, from that time with, you know, having to use books that were already used by white students in white schools. And then still today, you know, um, schools that are predominantly black, their, their tools and their, you know, workbooks sometimes aren't as good as the community, well, you know, right there. Well, right here in New York, you know, I say to people now that I've grown older and understand it, um, it's no different. Uh, it's just happening in a different way. Uh, our children here in Harlem, where I live, and in Roosevelt, Long Island, uh, they don't have all the resources they need, like the kids up in Westchester, and in Roslyn, where I live, Roslyn, Long Island. Uh, so, uh, go upstate, you go, there's a different in Rochester than it is in uh, some parts of uh, western New York. So, racism is alive and well. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to have racism. But I think each generation uh, understands more about what it is that we have to always live. And so uh, when I go to schools, integrated schools, sometimes all white schools, uh, they did a, um, a movie of me, the town of Dawkins said, called The Divided Moment. And when I went to those schools in Port Washington and Great Lake, those kids was eager to hear and to learn. Maybe when they returned home, uh, their parents, who are not in their life and have uh, some stories that they've heard about African Americans or Caucasians, uh, they hear a different version. But I think as long as we take education and incorporate the real history of America and what African Americans have provided and, and supported America's race and what it is, I think each generation of the more enlightened. Mm. That is right. I think that, you know, I, I look, I read books and I, I look at interviews and watch videos and I, and while it, it can be very easy to say, you know, things haven't changed, which they haven't, not, not much, but some things have changed. And I think that the minds of people and, and the, you know, world around us allowing us to 
be able to adopt a new perspective and, you know, bring that to our parents and then bring that to their parents, you know, and, and so that's one thing that, you know, I can look at. And, you know, since it's Women's History Month, I truly wanted to honor trailblazers and you definitely embody that. I am honoring you this month and I want to say thank you so much for empowering and advocating for our rights. And I'd, I'd like to ask what inspired your activism? My dad, my father was from the
the Board of Regents, I would say about three years ago. Uh, but we are here right now because we have uh, New York University as a part of a program, a college program that will be uh, implemented in 2023 20, uh, uh, pilot uh, in certain areas, as you know. There's an uproar political on this, uh, even with the uh, Supreme Court justice. They do that at her, like she has been a part of it. Right. Far from the truth. Uh, but still, applicable fight against it. They want us to know about Greece. They want us to know about the Holocaust. And we should know that. Because if you're going to be educated, you have to be a well rounded, educated person. You just should know what. Now, uh, Mr. Percy's son, he 
these were all positive people who had given so much and continued to give. And so you have to have a conviction. And the other thing you have to have, you have to have a faith base. Uh, I don't tell people what religion they should have, but you've got to believe in something higher than yourself. And so being a Christian, I have been taught uh, how to look people, uh, how uh, it's not by the sky, that when they said, who's your neighbor? It's not just the person that lives next door to you. It's anyone that you can help. And so that's what has sustained me. Thank you. Thank you. And so I know you just spoke on Maxine Waters and some others. I wanted to know how you felt about being able to witness such an increase in Black women and women, period, in office and decision-making positions like Vice President Kamala Harris or Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Governor Hochul, and, and the Honorable Ketanji Brown-Jackson, as well as so many others. Yes, but if they had not been woman by the name of Sharon Chisholm, mm -hmm. just like Jesse Jackson, we wouldn't have seen a, uh, wouldn't have seen uh, Barack Obama, uh, we wouldn't see uh, uh, Vice uh, President Harris, if we had not been constantly make a mockery, Barbara Joy, we would not see uh, uh, Jackson being the first woman, we've been fighting for these things for a long time, and they are coming to light because we didn't give up, we stayed committed to make sure that it happened in our lifetime. So each generation must, uh, as John Lewis said, must get in good trouble. Mm -hmm. And that means to fight to make that the Constitution, uh, that, that we are part of, we are America, we are part of it. Everything in this country, we can strive and we can be that. Don't have to stop looking at the color of our skin, the texture of our hair, how we wear our hair, uh, and 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 open the doors because we're not going to keep them closed. We're going to knock on doors. We're going to open doors. We're going to continue to do that. There's a generation now that determined to do that. Yes, yeah. You know, I I just can't believe that. I can believe that, that with hard work, and I, I know Kasanji Brown-Jackson, she said it, perseverance, and, and like you said, commitment, it, it took us so far. And, you know, you said we have to make sure that our next generation continues to hold and to continue to fight. And that's what I plan on doing. And I plan on passing that down. And, and yeah, I, I want to ask, what would you say is your proudest achievement? Being a son, being able to see other young people that I have mentored go on to reach higher heights. Uh, and when we are through with this person, the only thing on the tombstone is the day he died. The day he's born, the day he died. So when you leave people, they continue to be a living witness to what you believe in and what you know that are very dependent 
you know, I'm, I'm a 16-year-old junior. I go to the New York Harbor School. Uh, I study marine bio-research at Governor's Island, and I advocate for social issues, including marine biodiversity. I volunteer at a nonprofit that supports grieving children and their families. I also like, you know, I like writing, film, and music. What advice can you give to young people like me on how to positively impact the world around them as you have done for so many years? I let me congratulate you and tell you how proud I am of you. Anytime that I see my young people uh, pursuing uh, areas, professions that were not open to us, I am just excited about it because that's what the world is waiting for. They are waiting for when I was growing up to be a middle class or be respected. You had to be a teacher, a postman, or a person that worked on the railroad. But now the world is open to you from every area that you can imagine now with technology, uh, with bio, science. The world is there. When I see my children not taking uh, advantage of these opportunities, that's sad to me. But so many of you uh, are taking these advantage, and I am excited and so proud of you and all of the young people that are pursuing their dreams, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's biology, uh, whether it's technology, whatever, the world is waiting, it's there for them. And so my prayer and my encouragement that that's what we reach for, no guns. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. I want to thank you for opening the door for me. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have the opportunities that I have today. I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now if you, if you and so many others hadn't fought so hard for it. And you know, this isn't really a quite well. Yeah, my last question is that I know that you celebrated your 90th birthday recently, and I just want to know how you celebrated. What'd you do? How do you feel? I celebrated it with my family, uh, my son and daughter-in-law, and so many friends, and so many young people that I've touched their lives, been a part of their, their lives. Uh, cards, flowers, I have a garden uh, out of my terrace, um, flowers, uh, plants, uh, monetary gifts, just outpouring of love for the contributions that I've made and for the lives that I've touched. So it was wonderful. I also saw Tina Turner. Uh, oh. uh, uh, it was fantastic. That black cast uh, just warmed your heart. That is beautiful. I am so grateful to have spoken with you today. You are so amazing. You're such a trailblazer. Again, I'm so thankful. I hope you know, you enjoyed your time here on Perspective. I congratulate you for what you're doing. I can see it here that you are committed for equal justice for all Americans. And thank you again for having me. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. And the same for you and continue the good work. Stay 
be in good trouble. Thank you. Have a blessed day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of Perspective. You guys are so amazing. I hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you on our next episode.